Rick Stevens, financial advisor with FRS Financial Group, securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's show, please call 719-500-8700. This is Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial. Here's your host, Rick Stevens. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. This is your host, Rick Stevens, and folks, remember that this is your show. If you've got questions you would like to have answered, if there is a topic you would like to hear more about on a future episode of Money Matters, feel free to give me a call at 719-500-8700 or Go to our website, frsfinancialgroup.com. Click that contact tab. Send us that question you've got. Send us that topic you'd like to hear more about. Or you can also feel free to shoot me an email, rstevens at frsfinancialgroup.com. We would love to hear from you. Well, folks, this week we've got the NFC North in studio We've got Andrew Rogers, my co-host, with us as always, representing the beloved Honolulu Blue. The NFC North leading Honolulu Blue. Yes, yes. And folks, this week we've also got the Packer backer in George Uh, Sleeman. Hey, George. You should be much happier when you say that. I should be, but as a Bears fan, what can I say? Like, what can I say? Well, folks, uh, that's right. George Sleeman with Westside Tax and TMTY is here in studio today. We're talking all kinds of different things tax-related. Technically speaking, I've got to say that LPL Financial and FRS Financial do not endorse the guests, in particular Packers fans who appear on Money Matters. But I think we're okay with you for now, George. For now, until you can replace me? Leash well, is short. Yes, yes. Leash is short. We'll, we'll no. see what Jordan Love does this week. Yeah, we're still in the hunt. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, so folks, this week we yes are talking all things tax. There, there are some changes coming down the pike that we're going to talk about that will that will really impact, especially in particular small business owners. Right? Uh, we, we, minor we've ones, got those, but one but, big. Yes, yes, yes. So that's that's our teaser for sticking around for the entire show. But, but George, I want to start with this. We're at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. This is oftentimes that part of the year where folks are maybe looking at, hey, what have I made this year? What do I need to give to adjust my taxes a little bit? Sometimes they're also giving out of the kindness of their heart. It's not just the tax purpose. But... What are some of those things that, that folks need to understand as they are doing some of that end-of-year charitable giving? The biggest mistake people make when they're doing charitable giving is they think, how much more do I need to give in order to itemize? Aha. The standard deduction so bloody high now that donating ch- to charity for tax purposes is almost silly. Now, that is not to say don't keep track of your charitable contributions because if we cannot itemize, we will put them on the state return. 
but you got to keep the receipts. People are um, dropping money in the kettle, the Salvation yes. Army kettle this time of year. And that's great. You can claim that. However, if you give more than $250 throughout the year to the Salvation Army, you have to have a receipt or a letter from the Salvation Army that says, thank you for your donations of this amount. Canceled checks will work in a pinch, but it's best to get that letter from the organization. GoFundMe. Great organization that helps a lot of people and unfortunately scams a lot of people. Scams Uh a lot of people. uh But you cannot deduct your GoFundMe's. That's an intermediary organization. They are collecting money to give to Rick's college fund for his Mm -hmm. 32 kids. Only six? Only six? (laughs) Same death, but... Slight exaggeration. Maybe. But it's not going to help you on your charitable contributions because there's no 501c3 involved. Yeah, it's kind of like the PayPal of charitable giving. It'll show that you made a successful transaction, but that's about it. That's about it. Now, if you want to make an impact on a local charity, find out if they are a qualified enterprise zone charity. Go to the El Paso County website. Search Qualified Charitable Enterprise Zone. And you'll get a list, pages long, when you donate to those organizations. And I'm going to use the Salvation Army as one. They have a daycare program that you can donate specifically to. If you give them $1,000 and you're unable to itemize The state says, thank you very much for the first $500. We're going to reduce your taxable income by $500 on the state side. And you will get a $500 tax credit. Wow. It's a 50% of donation tax credit. Most of the Enterprise Zone charities are only 25%. But there are a special few that are 50%. If you're going to give, give smart. Yeah, and that's uh, that actually comes down to, uh, quite frankly, the best of both worlds. A, you're able to give to something, and and it is certainly local. It's not a a national thing where you may or may not really see what's coming mm-hmm. uh, out of those dollars. Plus, it it almost seems like, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost seems like a double benefit on the tax side. Part of that being I can deduct it from my income. Part of it being I get a credit towards the taxes that I owe. Right. And, and you're 100% correct. It is a double benefit. The If you're able to itemize and you donate, it still drops your taxable income. And that's where the state will start is taxable income. And if you're not able to itemize, we take all but $500 and put it on your state return. Now, there is a caveat to that as well. If you donate over $5,000 or claim over $5,000 on the state return, I have to attach proof. I need every receipt that's $250 or more. I need every non-charitable contribution receipt with the itemization and the values. 
it's not as easy as, well, I gave $10,000. Okay, great. The state wants the proof beforehand. Yeah. Yeah, so even even if we are giving, we've got to kind of keep that in mind. Save the documents, save the documents, save the documents. I, I can't just uh, pretend that I gave a, you know, $2,000 sofa to the folks at Goodwill because they hand me a blank thing to, to fill out. That barely has a readable date on it. Right. If, and, okay, non-cash charitable donations, sofas clothes, all that stuff. They're great to do. But how did you value that sofa? How did you value that bag of jeans? There's one program out there called It's Deductible that gives the highest rates of anything that I've seen, and the IRS accepts it. Because you have to put in what it was, the condition of it, and it gives you a acceptable amount or the other thing that i tell people to do is if you don't want to do that go into goodwill look at a similar item how much did could you buy it for that's how much you can claim it for all right all right so some very good very good information uh there george on that uh, end of the year charitable giving sort of things and, and i think it's especially important and you highlighted that it's great to give to, you know, family X that lost all of this or or that had someone who passed away and didn't have life insurance. It's great to do that. Wonderful way to help out. And Use the GoFundMe. Yes. But it's not something we can actually deduct. It's not anything we're gonna deduct. People do not give to charity for tax purposes. Yeah, this isn't a go call Saul type situation where you know, hey, I've got a lot of tax liability. What can I do to uh, offset that at the end of the year? This is really that goodness of your heart thing, and it's not going to make that much of a difference to really change your tax situation. Right, and and the impact is going to be, again, fairly minimal. I mean, think about it. The the, the Colorado sta- state tax rate is 4.4 flat. Whether you make $100 or $100 million, you pay 4.4%. So if you donated $1,500 and we're giving you 1000 you're going to say 4.4% of $1,000 on the tax of 1000 So, So you're saying saving 44 bucks, probably not at the high end of the, uh, the, the list. There. No, it's not. But again, in this economy especially, every dollar matters, every dollar counts. Save the receipts. Save the receipts. Save the receipts. Awesome. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna shift a little here, uh, yeah. George. But it's still an end of the year sort of tax type of question. Right. Um, I know that in in my world, uh, virtually all of the asset managers, all of the mutual funds have already determined their capital gains. They have uh, basically taken that out of the valuation of the fund, reloaded it back in. Uh, some some funds this year we saw had the fairly large gains. Most of them, for the most part, didn't see a lot of turnover, didn't see a lot of money coming out of the funds because the market did such uh, such a, a good uh, positive for the year. But there are some of those capital gains that are still coming into folks' investment accounts. Not the retirement, right? Because 
That is a qualified account. That means we're not dealing with the taxes in the investments right now. Right. If it was Roth, we already paid our income tax before we put it in. If it's a traditional, we don't take that tax until it comes out and it comes out as income there. But just in a, a typical investment account, when folks have capital gains throughout the year, and now is when we're really starting to see those come out. And, and again, you're, you're going to get those 1099s early next year to, to show you what your capital gains were. How do folks figure how much kind of ish will my taxes be? How do, how do they determine that short-term versus long-term and what those rates are that, that they're going to get hit with? Well, if you're able to find out how much is short-term, how much is long-term, that'll help. Look at last year's tax return and see how much difference in all the other income there's going to be. Did you get a big significant raise in your W-2 job? Did your Schedule C make more or less of a a profit? How about your S-Corp or partnership? What's your distributive flow-through amount? If those are all going to be relatively the same, we can plan on what you're going to be doing with your capital gains. If you hold something for one year or less, 365 days or less, it's short-term capital gains. Short-term capital gains are taxed at ordinary income tax rates. Those are the hardest to, to, to swallow that hit because you're looking at 22, 24 plus percent. Right. Long-term is much better. Long-term capital gains are taxed at 15% until your income is over 480, I think, total. And yeah, then it jumps to 20% which is still lower than 22, 24 ordinary income tax rates. So that is the numbers that you need to look at. What have I got for short-term capital gains? What have I got for long-term capital gains? And if you have a lot and you don't want to spend the money on it, talk to your financial advisor, Rick, and do some harvesting. It works. So so let's talk a little bit about that harvesting, right? There there are those opportunities in any given year to be able to take a tax loss, a capital loss on on doesn't matter if the market was up or not. It depends on when you bought that particular investment and whether it's up or down in the time frame that you're holding it and when it was revalued if it's a mutual fund and all of those different pieces because the basis, right, your mm-hmm. cost of that investment matters. And if what I can sell it for now is under what my basis was, I can take a loss. I can do that tax loss harvesting. But how much loss can you take in any given year? Well, how much gain do you have? Because that's what you can take. If you have a loss larger than your gains... You have them on your tax return, but we're only going to be able to take $3,000 per year off. You can have a $100,000 loss. I've had clients who have, and we take $3,000 a year, every year. But if their investments turn around and they have an $80,000 gain the next year, that gain goes against that loss first. And then we'll still take... 3000 because there's 20000 left over as a loss. So 
to answer your question, how much do you want? Well, I was waiting for the Evan, it depends. Well, <laughs> yes, but it's going to depend on your financial advisor and your tax preparer working together to say, if you can avoid this, do it. If you, he needs to have that capital gain, he's got a big carryover loss, we can eat some of that up. We can work together and make a great tax plan for you. Yeah, and that's one of those things that uh, I know we have done over the years. Uh, we actually, several years ago, we had a house uh, back in the Chicago suburbs that we had lived in mm-hmm. two out of the last five years before we sold it. And we actually took, at that point in time, about ballparkish, a $70,000 loss on what was paid. Got to use about 3000 in year one and 3000 in year two. And then we had some big capital gains in other areas. And that the reason you got to do that, and when you get into the homes, you have to be careful and think about it. It has to be an investment property. You cannot take a capital loss on the sale of your primary residence. If it's a rental, you can. If it's your primary house, you cannot. So just to be clear on real estate, that's another Yes. Tax issue. Yes, all uh, all kinds of uh, crazy, funky, fun stuff, and and even in the real estate market, we've seen in the last few years, and there are there are places uh, around at the moment. Uh, we've seen it actually both at the state level and some at uh, various local levels, where in that short term re- uh, rental market, right, folks that may have a condo or whatever up in ski country, that. Don't stay there the whole time. There are places looking to, uh, hey, if you rent this out more than 80 days or 85 days or 90 days or whatever, you're going to pay the corporate property tax rate versus the personal property tax rate, which is four times, and that starts to get into some more funky stuff Gets to be uh, ugly. through there. Yes. So one, uh, one, one last, uh, I guess, big leading question here before we get into into uh, that that break and and come back into uh, some some of the corporate stuff going on for the year. Are there any tax changes, George, coming in for 2024, or are we actually going to see a year where it's not going to be some crazy adjustment? Uh, just banking this on, there's still a couple weeks before the end of the year and anything could happen. I was going to say, do you remember <laughs> a couple of years ago when they retroactively made stuff yes. non- non-taxable? Mm-hmm. On December 27th, I believe. Oh, no, this was in March. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. The unemployment is what oh, I was yes. thinking Oh, yes. Oh, gotcha. That was, that, that was fun. The biggest change, to be quite honest, is got to do with the company and bonus depreciation, and then also with individuals and their buying of the electric cars. Mm-hmm. The credit is there, $7,500, and the state um, has a credit as well. But as of January 1, 2024, you can sign that over to the dealer to take that off of your price of your car. Now, if you're going to buy an electric car, I'm going to tell you right now, that is probably a great financial decision to do because you're going to pay interest on the loan on that car unless you're paying cash. If you got the cash and you want to buy it right. with cash, keep keep Have the tax it. credit. But if you're going to finance this thing, give them the tax credits because otherwise you will be paying interest 
on the loan increase because you didn't give them the 7500 to get a tax break of 7500 mathematically it doesn't make sense so so what you're saying is it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to pay interest to the place giving you the loan for the money you actually received as your tax credit correct and the following year yes yeah you also have to be careful how much money you make because you can phase out of it if you don't you you can they have to it has to be one of the first 200,000 cars so go, there's a government website that you can go to to see what qualifies the dealer should be keeping up on that as well and this does now apply to used cars as well wow yeah um there can be there, there's price limits on that they the, you it had to be owned for a certain amount of time before you buy it to get the additional credit on it. Um, and there's a lot of specifics in that. And if you'd like to know those specifics, you can give me a call, make an appointment. We can sit down and talk about it. Um, but basically, it's a $3,750 half right. for a used car. But there's income limits. There's price limits that you can't spend more than. The dealership can't charge more than. It, it gets to be a ugly ball of wax. Yeah, limits as far as where it's built, assembled, the amount of right. U.S. parts versus foreign. Uh, Is the battery domestic or international? Yeah. There's a whole bunch of caveats and hoops and one-legged jumps that you have to go through, but I can walk you through it. Awesome. Well, folks, we are up against that break in today's show. When we come back, we are going to uh, talk a little bit on that uh, small business and corporate side of things that uh, are, are coming down the pike to us here in 2024 in just a couple of weeks. So stick around. We will be right back with the tax man right after this. Does stock market volatility have you wondering which way is up? Do the talking heads and doomsayers have you wondering if this really is the end? If you want straight answers from an advisor who isn't just trying to sell you something, call FRS Financial Group at 719-500-8700 to schedule your complimentary appointment today. And remember to tune into Money Matters presented by FRS Financial Group here on KRDO, Saturday mornings at 9 and Sunday at noon. Products and services offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Money Matters, presented by FRS Financial Group. Rick Stevens here with you in studio with my co-host, Andrew Rogers, as always. We've got George Sleeman, the tax man, in. We're talking all things tax these days. And, uh, George, as we came into 2023, Mm. right, last year we were getting ready to, to start as employers contributing to the family tax, F-A-M-L-I, the family tax. Not to be confused with F-M-L-A. Exactly, because they are ones at the state level, ones at the federal level, but they do kind of cover the same sort of thing. And when it comes to leave, one of them is how you're getting paid if you're taking F-M-L-A leave, basically. The other one is how long they have to hold your job. Um, and if I recall correctly, from last year, we discussed this. They're not concurrent. They are one right after the other. That's so my it, understanding as well. So rather than the 12 weeks of we'll hold your job, it's actually 24. 
and there's 52 weeks in a year. Yes. Do the math. Yes. So so basically halfway through, uh, you could actually be gone for six months. Company's still holding on that job. But 2023 is we started paying into it. But 2024 is when that actually kicks in and can start being used. Right. The, the state has been collecting from the employee, at least, for a year now. And the employer, if you have five or more employees, um, a matching rate. Now, how much money they have, I'm not sure. But, boy, I hope they invested it good because this is going to be expensive. <clears throat> the FMLA on the federal side says, i got to hold your job for 12 weeks if you are out with pregnancy leave, if you are out for family and medical emergency or something like that, and you and you take FMLA, I got to hold your job for 12 weeks. You're not getting paid, but your job is there for when you're ready to right. come back. And God forbid you ever have to use it. Right. Mm-hmm. With the exception of pregnancy and all that, I didn't, I'm not trying right. to say right. anything negative but, but about ta- that. But more along the lines of there's a major family medical issue that going would be yeah. a better way of that i should have put that F- well you're a packers fan we'll we'll give it to you for now <laughs> f-a-m-l-i is a state program that says once the fmla is done i gotta hold your job for another 12 weeks and you can get paid you're not gonna be paid by me you're not gonna be paid by the employer you'll be paid right. by me the taxpayer because you put into that minimal amount into this insurance policy that your employer matched, and now the state is managing it like unemployment because it's done through the Department of Labor. You file like you do for unemployment, and you get a check up to the limits, the availability limits of it, for up to 12 weeks. I can see the need at times. Again, family and medical emergency. Somebody had a stroke and you're and you're a caretaker for them. You need that extra support and it's there and it's great. Right. But I can see the abuse happening as well. What the state's going to do to verify that you qualify you're going to have to ask the state what that is because nobody else knows. And nobody else knows how much is in that fund, how it's being managed, how you're going to actually get that in. Uh, it seems like a lot more unknown than known at this point. It is by me anyway. And and I try to keep up with this stuff, but they have town meetings and, and, and webinars and all that a lot of times, but it's always the same information, nothing really new that I've noticed. Well, you know, and and one of those things that I know I have seen over the years is quite frankly, they don't even know how it's going to operate until they're in the midst of operating it, which is where they will start to come back with some clarifications on what you have to do, how you have to, you know, demonstrate this and, and prove that. And yep. oh, by the way, um, there there are, if I remember correctly, and, and I might not, but there are income limits on that as well, based on what you were making versus what they will actually pay out. Correct. If 
they have a maximum payout. They have no minimum payout. But if you're self-employed on a Schedule C and you haven't been paying into this, you're not going to get anything. You can't. You did not contribute to the fund, therefore you cannot do it. If you are a W-2 employee of your own S-corporation, now you've been paying yourself, you've been paying the premium, as long as you didn't opt out, right? then you're subject. You, you can claim it like you do unemployment. If you don't contribute to unemployment, you can't take it, except under COVID rules. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> two weeks. We're, we're, we're done with that. Okay. Yeah, two, two weeks to flatten the curve. That's yep. all it takes. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to be good. So, so I want to move here a little bit from the family tax, that, that program uh, here that really truly gets underway rather than just being paid for, uh, gets actually underway at the beginning of the year, to something else that's new for 2024. And this, this started uh, about four years ago when the act was put in front of Congress, who passed it with a veto-proof majority, that beginning in 2024, we have what is called the Corporate Transparency Act, or sometimes it's also, I've seen it called the, the Beneficial Ownership Information Reporting. Um, the, the short version of it is it's about who owns what in some sense. Can you, can you straighten that out for business owners here, George? Or, or, or is it just the answer, no, and we'll go from there? <laughs> I will straighten out that crooked road as best I possibly can. The On paper, what the Corporate Transparency Act, or as I call it, the Corporate Translucence Act, or CTA yes. for short, um, is trying to get you know what the Russian nesting stacking dolls are? Yes, yes. You've got my grandmother used to have them when I was a kid, and I'd play with them. And you know, you take out all the dolls, and you get this little peanut in the middle. What they're trying to do is get to that peanut. Who is the true beneficial owner of these LLCs and these corporations that are registered with the Secretary of State or foreign entities that are doing business inside the United States? And on paper, it sounds great, but that's on paper. There, there's the practical application of this. Because that's the front page. Now you dig deeper into it, and you look at what they're trying to do, but then look at who they're excluding from the requirement. First, who's supposed to do this? If you are registered with the Secretary of State in any form, you have to file a CTA or a BOI with FinCEN, who is the financial crimes unit right. that does the FBARs and the foreign bank accounts. They are truly the financial cops, if you want right. to put them that way. If you don't do this, and provide the information they need, your full name, your date of birth, your complete residential address as a business owner or a beneficial person, and a copy of a state-issued 
driver's license, ID, or a passport, domestic or foreign, with your name, your residential address on mm-hmm. it has to match. And something, and, and those have to have your picture on it. That all gets transmitted to FinCEN, the financial cops. If, if you have a DBA, and that's all you have is a doing business as because you wanted to protect that name so nobody else could do it, you have to file one. You have a single member LLC, you have to file one. If you have a multi-member LLC, both of you or all of you have to file one because you have to look at what the definition of a beneficial owner is. Mm-hmm. A beneficial owner is somebody who owns 25% of the shares of the company or more. Okay, that makes sense. But then they also put this other little thing in there that says, or has a impact on the financial or creation or dissolving of the company if you have a significant (laughs) input into that. I own 100% of TM2. Mm-hmm. My wife owns none of it. Do you think she's a beneficial owner of my single member LLC? I bet she's got some input. I bet she's got some input too. And you're going to be darn tootin' I'm putting her on there. Because I don't know how far back they're going to reach on that. Yeah. They haven't said. They don't know. The other thing is, these businesses that have formed and use a UPS Dropbox for mm-hmm. their address. That's great. You can get mail there. Where does your business physically work? Now, I, I do a lot of sales tax for a lot of e-commerce people that work mm-hmm. out of their house or Starbucks. Yeah. Starbucks is not your place of business. Right. Your home is. However, as it is written in black ink, your residential address cannot be the place of the business, nor can it be a P.O. box, a drop box at the UPS store. It cannot be a work share office space. So not like any of the Regis, you go and rent that office for two days every three weeks kind of a place. You cannot use that address for the principal location of the business. What does that leave you, Rick? <laughs> Andrew, that leaves your house. Yeah. I'm, I was going to say, I'm, I'm putting it at George's house. <laughs> you are. It is your house. They haven't decided how stringent they're going to be on the enforcement of that part yet. Yeah. But why? I mean, what, 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 what's the end goal with all of this? The end goal is to get to the middle of the Russian doll. Okay. They want to know where this money's coming in from and who's benefiting from it. Like, is there financial crimes, like, rampant in all these, like, shell corporations and, you know, basically, you know, high-level three-card Monty that they're having to actually do some kind of crackdown with this? Ask Hunter. Um, okay. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> there's a lot of exemptions from this that are depleting the purpose or defeating the purpose 
of this whole thing. Yeah, in my humble opinion, and this is the opinion of George. Nobody else, no company, nothing. This is my personal opinion. They really screwed this up. Heavily regulated businesses do not have to do this. What's a heavily regulated business? I'm taking this from what I understand right out of FinCEN. Does not apply to publicly traded corporations or other businesses that issue securities registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. Investment funds do not have to do this. Investment advisors do not have to do this. Registered broker-dealers, banks, registered money-transmitting businesses. You know. Western Union. Exactly. The money store. Right. They don't have to do this. Credit unions, insurance companies, registered public accounting firms. A CPA firm does not have to do this. I'm an enrolled agent. You're darn tootin' we're doing this. And venture capital fund advisors. All those people don't have to do it. Oh, and did I mention 501c3s? Wow. For the most part, with very few exceptions, do not have to do this. So what we're looking at, oh, and excuse me, I forgot a few. Ooh, but wait, there's more. There's more. (laughs) Larger businesses that have more than full-time employees, as defined as 30 hours a week or more, 5 million in domestic gross receipts or sales on the prior year's tax return, and have a physical presence in the U.S., They don't have to register. Hmm. So this is where my opinion comes in. I have a company that makes $500,000 a year, but I'm wearing a Rolex watch and driving a a Lotus. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a problem here because chances are there's more money coming in and they're, they're washing it and cleaning it and handing it back out. Right. But my business only has a $500,000 deal. Now, that's only five zeros, the six-digit number. Where would you rather hide money? Some place that has fewer numbers or some place that has many more zeros? At this point, it sounds to me like the place with, uh, with more zeros is the yeah. one that's actually going to get less scrutiny. More than likely, yes. But in your earlier example, a lot of that money is getting over to the Lotus shop. So, I mean, that... You're, you're, that's where a lot of that money is going to get hidden. Exactly. But it has to flow through somewhere. If it's coming from out of the country, it's going through something. Yeah. And that's what they wanted to stop. And that's what they're hoping to do. But we had a Democratic president whose wife was very significantly involved in his presidency that has a foundation. And I hesitate to mention the name because I don't want to die. so i won't (laughs) but they were scrutinized for hiding money right that is what this was supposed to be but because they are a 501c3 they're excluded they're a there is also an exclusion for governmental agencies i thought this was the corporate 
Transparency, Translucency Act. You want to go down that rabbit hole? <laughs> we have exclusions for political funding? Really? This is a on-paper great thing to find the peanut in the middle of that Russian doll. But they have hamstrung themselves, in my opinion, by allowing all of these exemptions to it. So now, my company, the small individual that has a single-member LLC because he's trying to protect the liability. I've got a rental that's in a LLC. i got to do this. Right. Because... I just want to protect my liability. Now, the Federal Financial Crimes Unit has my driver's license, my residential address, which chances are, I mean, let's be realistic, they have it anyway. But why do I have to report that, but Sam Walton and his family does not? Right. That's not right. That's not fair. And that's just bad politics. And that's, uh, you know, when you when you look at the big picture of it, while, yes, I work for a broker-dealer, if that's all I did, I wouldn't have to worry about this. But I have an LLC. My partners have individual LLCs. Together, our individual LLCs own our partnership LLC. So now we have to file not just one for us. We've got to file one for us. We've got to file one for our spouses. Are you investment advisors? Not in the LLC. Okay. The LLC that, That's where is the, the key. difference is coming in. And these hairs are going to be split right. by Finson. Right. If you think you should, do. Yeah. I hate saying that. But yeah. if you think you should, do. One of the other exemptions that kills me is a inactive LLC. Right. Who's determining the inactivity? Your tax return. <laughs> um... <laughs> Hmm. Exactly. So so what's the difference between inactive and I just didn't pay taxes, George? <laughs> we only have 15 minutes left, Rick. <laughs> An inactive LLC doesn't have to do this either. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you've got an LLC that you think might be used sometime in the next century, register the damn. Yeah, I mean, I was actually on the uh, on the phone uh, not not a week ago uh, with the IRS. They had a couple of questions about my LLC, and their their one of those questions was, "Well, we see that this was formed in 2017, but you didn't start showing it tax wise until 2022." And then when I went through, that's because I didn't actually use it for anything until then. I just had it formerly, you know, mm-hmm. created. And I still ran as a 1099 and all of that sort of stuff. Until then, they were like, oh, okay, we'll check that box then. Right. Because they really are looking, how long has this been active? And, you know, I'm I'm going to guess there is some point in time somebody may actually ask that question, how long has this been active? I saw it started in 17. You didn't start filing things on it until after the 22 year. What's going on? And somebody may go, oh, I didn't? Because it's been around that whole time. Okay, here comes that first red flag. Exactly. If you've got anything registered with the Secretary of State, I'm going to advise you, file this darn thing. Because if you decide, 
five years from now, you know what? I got this one. I think I'm going to start using it again. Well, now you got to file it. Right. Well, why didn't you file it before? Let's look at the penalties, Rick. Yeah. If you decide that you don't want to do this, Andrew, mm-hmm. with your single member LLC, they're going to fine you $500 a day up to $10,000. Ooh. That's civilly. There's possible criminal punishment as well. Now, there's something else that you need to know. This is a one and done. Meaning, once we do it, you don't have to worry about it again. Unless. (laughs) There's always unless. There's always an unless. If you sell it, the new owners have to do it. Not a big deal. That, that, that makes sense. You are an e-commerce seller or you're working out of your house doing drafting and engineering and whatever. You move. People move every five to seven years. Something like that. You got to redo it because you moved. Now we got to file a correction or not a correction, excuse me, an amendment to it. These things have to be maintained. You have 30 days from the date of change to file the report. Now, let's talk about these timelines. If you were formed between the formation of the earth and 1231-2023, you have technically one year to register. Anytime in 24. Anytime in 24. If you form from January 1, 2024 to 1231, 2024, they were giving you 30 days, but they've decided to expand that to 90 days to do it. From January 1, 2025 onward, you have 30 days. No ifs, ands, or buts. Corrections, changes, 30 days from the date of change. Now, you've moved, Rick. Right. Those first 30 days are a little hectic. Those first 30 days are a little hectic. And that's where TMTY comes in. TMTY is a sister company of Westside Tax Service. I'm half owner in Westside Tax. I am a full owner of TMTY. We specialize in sales tax for e-commerce and and local people. So if you ever want anything, they can call for that. But we also do Secretary of State compliance and CTA compliance. We will manage that end of it for you with the information you give us. All I want from you is the needed information and then an understanding that if you decide to move, you're going to call me, you're going to email me and say, hey, George, I'm closing on this date. This is my new address. I'll make sure that stuff's up to date. I will make sure that the corrections or the amendments are filed on a timely basis if you give me the information in time. This starts January 1, 2024. Oh, by the way, did I mention FinCEN hasn't published this platform (laughs) yet that all this is going to be done, Mm. and they expect that there may be a delay. However, we are responsible starting January 1, 2024. Well, that's that's the way that that always goes, right? We roll out the government program. We'll mm. eventually figure out how we're going to make it operate, and we might get to the actual functionality part in you know March, April, May. But you need to do this back in January. Well, I think the Obamacare thing's still having issues, but um, yeah, it, it, we don't know 
what the process is. I called a registered agent company the other day that is huge. It's the oldest registered agent company in the United States, according to them. They don't know what they're going to be charging on this. Wow. Because they haven't seen it yet either. And people are asking me, George, how much are you going to charge for this? I have no clue yet. But I can guarantee you there will be people doing it for 100 bucks, and there will be people doing it for 2000 per. I'm going to be somewhere in the middle. Somewhere between a hundred and two grand. Somewhere between a hundred, <laughs> yeah, and two grand. If it's what I think it's going to be, I'll go out on a limb and say I believe, with forty percent accuracy, <laughs> close counts, that it's going to be about two hundred bucks for us to do it, and then the changes and amendments will be less, but the initial filing will be right. But also what I can tell you is, yes, we have a full year to do it, but if I don't have your information by the end of the first quarter, in the second quarter, price is going to go up. Third quarter, price is going to go up. Fourth quarter, it's going to go up because you are not giving me the time I need to get it done. I think that is reasonable. Many people have said they'll do it themselves. Great. If you think you can do it, Mm -hmm. do it. On top of running business and everything else. Right. Exactly. And make the changes and keep up on the currency of it. Because remember, is it worth it to you to spend a little bit of money to save $10,000? Because if you forget up to $10,000, and I highly doubt they're going to send you warning letters. You're probably not going to get that until... The end of the year, or even that next tax season, when you're going, oh, you've got a business that we didn't know about. Exactly. When did you form this? Six months ago, you had 90 days. Yeah. Yeah. I can I can imagine all that coming through. And then and again, it's it's the on top of. So I have an LLC. My partners have LLCs. So that's one for each of us, yep. plus one for a spouse. Then together, we own the FRS Group LLC. That's another. Mm-hmm. FRS Group as an LLC has a DBA for FRS Financial Group. That's yet another. That is going to be yet another. And that pricing I was telling you about is single-member LLC. Right. Additional people will be an additional fee. Otherwise, I mean, you know, a partnership will have at minimum two. Right. At maximum Two hundred? I don't know. It depends on how far down with the beneficial owners it goes. They are saying that an, an employee who makes managerial decisions is not a beneficial owner. But I've got a guy in. He's formed in Delaware. His father is the owner of the business. Mm-hmm. He's the manager of the business. I have to put him and his father on there. Because one owns and one manages. Right. Mm-hmm. If your your LLC that you have is being part of FRS, that is part of the DPA, we don't know what that tree's looking like right. on the FinCEN reporting yet because they haven't launched the software. Right. 
I wish soon as they do, I'll be able to answer these questions a heck of a lot easier. But again, I, your principal place of business is going to be one of the biggest sticking points. Right. They don't want your residential address, but I can tell you right now, with a lot of people, it's their residential mm-hmm. address, and that's yeah. what I'm going to put. Do not take this as you have to go out and rent a house or rent an office. Right. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're going to do what we can with what you have and what is registered. Right. The Secretary of State, and this kills me as well, the Secretary of State has 90% of this information. Yeah. Why isn't FinCEN requesting the Secretary of State just upload your stuff to us? Why are they making us go through all these hoops? Am I complaining? Yes. I'm the biggest proponent of a flat tax. Mm -hmm. I do taxes for a living. I want easier, not harder. The Secretary of State could do this because I'm telling you right now, the only way they're going to find out is if they go to the Secretary of State and ask for that list. Right. And compare it with who registers. Right. So they've already got the information. Just give it to them. Who has access to this information is a big thing, too. And it's supposed to be law enforcement only. The banks cannot get the LLC information on a blanket deal from them. And I don't know that the that the banks are going to go to FinCEN for this as much as they'll go to the Secretary of State right. like they currently do. But they do have the option to make that for you to get a loan. They can go to FinCEN and say, he says he has an LLC. Is he registered? He is? Yeah. Okay, cool. He's not? Really? Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Customer. I just told FinCEN on you. Right. $500 a day up to $10,000 and a couple of years in prison. Sorry. It's There's too many moving parts. There's too many I don't knows. There's too many everything. Well, and they're giving yeah. you less than a month to actually complete that. Because that $10,000, $500 a day, that's 20 days. So even if the, you don't even have a month to even get this stuff in line if something happened. Well, no, yes, no, maybe. <laughs> I mean, in, I'm just, I'm just looking year, at the math. Yeah. In the first year, you've got one year. Okay? Yeah. Great. We're going to collect all the information from all the clients that we have and all the people who aren't our clients. We'll do them too. Right. Please call us. New oh, clients. You'll do your new, new clients. clients. Give us Absolutely. a call. Absolutely. But that, that, that's my point. When January 1, 2024 rolls around and you hire TMTY to form your business, the FinCEN reporting is going to be done the same day. I don't care that I have 90 days to do it. It will be done as part of the formation process. Yeah. Period. End of story. I'm not waiting 80 days and saying, oh, by the way, that's crazy. I have to be on every single one of these. Right. Because I'm the one who formed it for you. I am the, or not the, I don't want to say I was the organizer. I'm the person who submitted the paperwork to the Secretary right. of State. Yeah. Therefore, I have to do this. Now, if you don't want, like I don't want, to have to upload my driver's license on 2,000 different LLCs, you can get what's called a financial... Oh, Lord, what is the word I'm looking for? A FinCEN identifier, mm-hmm. which is a number that you can, you, you register once, you get that FinCEN, 
number. Now, here's the problem with that, if I may. <laughs> if I am doing that for all these people on behalf of TMTY, they have to have a contact in TMTY mm-hmm. and the address and all that. Nobody else in my company can get a FinCEN for TMTY. I am the contact. Period. Wow. So when I retire, somebody else has to. Now, you look, and we're a small company, so that kind of makes sense. But now let's take a look at Corporation Services Company, who is nationwide registered agent service that is forming companies left, right, and sideways. What employee are they going to have sign that? Right. What board of director that can be easily replaced mm-hmm. and oftentimes are sign that? Right. How often are they going to want to? F- it's it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Many, many, many hoops to uh, to adjust to once they, they come up. George, if folks have questions about any of this stuff, how do they get in touch? You call me at Westside Tax Service, 719-445-0085. Email me directly, george at westsidetaxservice.com or george at taxman2u.com, T-A-X-M-A-N-T-O-Y-O-U.com. Send it to the TMTY email if you've got questions about the CTA. You got questions about the income taxes and, and the energy credits and, and can we be a client and how do we do that? Email me at the Westside Tax Service email. They go into the same bucket, but it's easier for me to categorize. Awesome. Well, folks, if you do have those questions, reach out to George. That, ladies and gentlemen, is all the time we have for this week on Money Matters. We will be back again next week, continuing to talk about your money because your money matters. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.